Hello, Choose Love audiences. I want to introduce you to Eva LaRue. I don't need to introduce you to Eva LaRue, the Emmy award-winning actress who is known for many acting roles over, over many years, especially 18 years as Dr. Santos on All My Children and also on CSI Miami and so many others. Eva, welcome to the Choose Love Movement podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Oh, I am so excited for you to be here. And uh, I was introduced to you through Elizabeth Rom, who is uh, hopefully will will play me in an upcoming movie on nurturing healing love, which would be just a, another way to get Jesse's message out there. And uh, it's very exciting. But I am I'm so thrilled that you. Uh, that you would come on and speak to our audience. You know, I think that everyone knows you as a, a movie star and, uh, and, and you've had so many accomplishments in your professional career and, and people identify you with your roles. Uh, everybody knows who you are. Um, but I think sometimes we forget that behind all behind this you know the the beauty and and all of your accomplishments that you're a real person with real life struggles yeah i mean we 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 all are and i think um i think the interesting takeaway from the last two years of covid and especially in that first year was that um there wasn't a single person on the planet exempt from major hardship and mental health, you know, cognizance. Like we all became, it, our mental health all became uh, forefront for everybody because we were all locked down. We were prisoners in our own home and in our cities. And, um, and I kind of, I guess I secretly hoped at the end of all that because it, it was, you know, without race, it was without political, you know, affiliation. It was without boundary or border and um i had kind of secretly hoped that at the end of that uh, even though we're still sort of in the middle of it um that there would be a real unity and unfortunately we're looking like at a world war i don't know how that happened out of all of us being exactly the same and you know for once on the planet i almost felt like it, there was this gorgeous spiritual message which always comes wrapped in hardship, right? You know, your biggest learnings and your biggest lessons always come wrapped in your most hard to swallow, you know, glass bites. But um, but I really thought that there might be some world unity out of this. And look at that. I don't look at where we're at right now. <laughs> I know. I remember thinking that at the very beginning. This is kind of like the all leveler yeah. type. Uh, type tra uh, tragedy that yeah. is befalling all of us. I mean, it's taking all of us out of our comfort zone for the first yeah. time in my lifetime. Simultaneously. Simultaneously. We're all in this together. And, and usually, usually that brings people together. And, and it did in pockets all over the yeah. world. It did. And there was this, you know, and, and it was the clapping and the cheering for the frontline workers and the nurses and the doctors and then all of a sudden it became it turned around and it became pile on the doctors and it was just a really crazy you know it's been such a roller coaster ride but but again no one was immune to that i don't care you know how i don't know if, i don't care if you're an oligarch or a billionaire 
or right. a movie star or whatever everybody was in, you know, or, or, you know, living in the slums of India, everybody was, it was the great equalizer. It was the great equalizer. And unfortunately, so is uh, illnesses, but so is death and, mm-hmm. and loss. And, mm-hmm. uh, and unfortunately, during COVID, you suffered quite a bit of that. You, you suffered the loss of, I, 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 is it the, the love of your life? I, I would say your, your ex-husband, John Callahan, who you started mm-hmm. with on uh, all my children. I say that because I know that you all were divorced, but you were best friends and, you know, you you share a child and that's always a bond. And, uh, and, and he died um, very shortly after we started the quarantine. That's the father of your daughter, Kaya. We, we, it was interesting. Um, um, COVID and the quarantine ended up being kind of a backdrop for what was happening to us in the, in the foreground. Um, because my, my dad had passed away six months, um, prior. And then two weeks into the shutdown, um, John Callahan, my daughter's dad, like you said, um, died. And he was, even though we'd been divorced for, you know, 16 years he was still one of my best friends and we were really close and got along great and um and then four months after that my mother-in-law who I really loved she passed away Mm. um, unexpectedly not of COVID um she and then right after that my one of my beloved aunts died like three months after that Uh. it was just like a we just kept getting kicked in the teeth and I think that um one of the things to add you know, mayhem to injury was um, that John's identity got stolen two days after he died. They think that it actually might be an inside job with the hospital that he was in because um, they were having a rash of home burglaries the second somebody, an older person died because he lived, you know, he lived out in Palm Desert and there's a a large elderly community that comes down there during the winter because it's nice and warm and toasty. And, um, and so when uh, uh, somebody who lived alone died in the hospital immediately, their house got broken into. So, and all their stuff was, so he stole his laptop, his checkbooks before we could get our hands on all those things. Somebody broke in and, um, and stole his identity. And because, um, COVID was happening, we were unable to get his death certificate for almost two months because all the government agencies were shut down. So we couldn't even prove that he was dead. So we couldn't stop the banks from giving loans to some, I mean, I, I really feel like there's a special, special little corner yeah, in a very uncomfortable that. place for these people. You know what I mean? Like there's, I do. Oh my I God. Do. And, I do. So you are, so you're, you're grieving and then you can't even grieve because you have all of this other stuff happening. The identity theft. Yeah. And that, no, it that's was so hard. overwhelming. That's hard when you're not in COVID. I can't even imagine what it's like unraveling that in COVID when, oh when my God. nobody was working and no one was working. You couldn't get a hold of anybody. Bank of America is probably the most unhelpful bank I've ever, they, to this day, we actually, it's two years, almost two years later this month. And we um, have had to subpoena them several times because they wouldn't give us any of the information about how, how they just like 
willy nilly were giving out loans to some dude. And one lady even said to me on the phone, you know, I did think it was kind of weird that he didn't look like his ID, but we gave him the loan. I can't go into a bank and get a $250,000 loan right now. Forget if I didn't look like my ID, but these right. people are like, oh, that's weird. Head scratch. Well, give him the money anyway. I'm sure he needs it. He'll be fine. You know, and they just kept giving it. And, and of course, they want no part of taking any responsibility for it or, you know, so it's literally they've been we even had to have our lawyer go down and for four hours talk to a supervisor who was wholly unhelpful. And this has been in several. I mean, it literally is going on for two years. So if anybody is trying to choose a bank right now. <laughs> Bank of America shouldn't be your first choice. I'm just saying they're not going to back you up. They're not going to help uh, you out. They're not going to, I mean, they're the literally the worst, the worst. They've held her accounts. They won't let her, um, oh my God. They, I can't even tell you how many ways they've made it a nightmare. So if, if you have anybody that you know that's elderly that has all their accounts in Bank of America, they're going to be frozen up. You're not going to get your hands. You're not going to be able to liquidate anything. Like you're just toast. <laughs> that. That I mean, and and it would be so so helpful. I mean, they they have jump through so many hoops. It's ridiculous. Yeah, they Uh, have the ability to make it easier, especially when there's an 18 year old child that's the only next of kin, right? And they literally have made an 18 year old's life a living hell. And they know that they're talking to her on the phone because they won't even talk to me on the phone because I wasn't the next of kin. She was, and she was 18. So they're making this little girl jump through hoops that don't don't need to be jumped through. They know her father is dead. They've been given a, you know, they know all these things. And now because they, you know, are going to, they're liable for all the money that they, you know, Kaya is not liable for any of those loans, but they're holding his accounts so that she can't pay off any of his other things. It's just, it's like a nightmare. Did they catch the person? Because I mean, obviously the money went to someone. Were they able to? To yeah, of- but you, it's almost impossible for them to, I, I think, that, I don't even know if they prosecute these things. I think they're such big banks. They're like, oh, we kind of find the, found the culprit, but they don't, the bank doesn't go through with charging anybody. Has to be like, it has to be the detective involved and the detective involved doesn't really care. So two years later, they acting like they're trying to find some one person, but even though they have identified the accounts that it's gone into, they just shut the accounts down. They don't ever, the banks aren't in the business of prosecuting people. Right. So they just take right. the loss and they don't care. Right. So how do you think that all of that has impacted your grief? Because grief is a process. It's, it's you know, you mourn and then you kind of, you're, you're moving through it and you weren't really able to do that. Then you had this you know, coming down on top of that. And especially, I mean, for you, but also for Kaya, I mean, she lost her father and, and, and you lost her senior year of high school Uh, and, and then, and was shut down in the house because of COVID. It was, it was literally, I, I honestly, there were a few times in that year that I thought I might lose my kid. Hmm. There were a few times that I thought, you know, she started talking about, I just don't want to wake up anymore, mom. I don't want to get up again tomorrow or the next day. And I thought, Oh my God, my kid is going to commit suicide or something. You know? And, and um, thankfully she kept saying, mom, I'm not going to commit suicide, but at the same time, I don't want to wake up anymore. I don't want to, I don't want tomorrow to be the same as today because, you know, grief is just like that. 
it's that girt that 18th century girdle you know that is just like you can't get out of and you can't breathe and you can't move and you can't you know and it's with you all day and um and then on top of that, all that, all that excess stress. But what it did was, was um, elongate. I felt like the time that we were grieving because we were so stressed out that first year that we didn't even get to be sad. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? It does. We it's were totally grieving. You were mad. You were mad. Yeah, we were mad. Right. We were mad. We were shocked. We were right. trapped in the house. You were we victimized. Were victimized. Yeah. We were stressed beyond, like beyond, beyond. Um, every day was like, sh- like a thousand little needles of shock, like some new loan that they gave out that they wouldn't <sighs> stop. The bank wouldn't stop giving out loans, even though we kept saying he's dead. And they were like, "Well, we don't have a you know death certificate." And we're like, "Yeah, but the the." mortuary called the bank to say, you know, we're, we're waiting for the government to send to, they just wouldn't stop. It was. And so I felt like it was a whole year later, a full year later. And so we were able to, to quiet ourselves into a place that there was like a secondary rocket of sadness. Then it was just heavy sadness. So I felt like it, it, we got robbed of being able to grieve right away um and then with the whole second year has, has just been you know like a kind of a quiet heavy sadness and i mean you know there's so many stages to it and there's no linear way to grieve and nobody you know and i always find it interesting when when um audiences are watching um a parent or family members grieve on television and and they say, oh, look, they were laughing over there. They clearly did it. <laughs> no, you, because you laugh and you cry and you laugh and you cry and you remember something amazing that made that, you know, that they did that, you know, put everybody in hysterics and thank God you have that little break where you can laugh and, and you can all laugh together. And But that doesn't mean that you're callous and you are not grieving. It just means that you're riding an insane roller coaster of emotions. Um, and other people are judging. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. It's so true. Energy in motion, and you move through it, and you have micro moments of joy. I mean, I, we, we laughed and cried days after Jesse's murder, and I think that's how you survive. Um, yeah. And and you're right, though. Gosh, that brings back. I remember thinking that people were judging me if I smiled or, mm. or if I laughed, because, you know, that's not what you do when you right. have lost someone and probably and it is exactly what you do when right. you lose someone. Right. That's why people sit Shiva. That's why people have wakes right. so that everybody right. can come and they can tell all the funniest stories and they can have a break in that pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. So how do you think, uh, I know that you and your daughter went through a tough time in your relationship because you've talked about it with other people, but so that was kind of during this time that it was hard for both of you to kind of, yeah, because she was taking that rage out on the only other person she's stuck in the house with. Right. Yeah. That rage that, um, that, uh, that her dad died at all, you know, and, the and the, the overwhelming stress of what was happening with 
the banks and the credit card companies and all of the, you know, the myriad um, organizations that were so um, such a nightmare to deal with. And um, she just took all that, all that out on me and I was ill-equipped to, you know, deal with her and, and had we not had a really great therapist, I don't, I don't think we're, we'd be where we are today, which is a thousand times closer and a thousand times better, but it took, it took a lot of work. I mean, I think it was, we were just both at our breaking point and we didn't have anybody else. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I have a similar situation because I have uh, one son now and it's just he and I living in the house. So uh, you know, that other person's there when you go through frustration and anger. And I, and I think that uh, probably a lot of parents that are listening have gone through that with their kids because we're all now kind of, we've been trapped together <laughs> for, <Yeah. laughs> through good and bad times in our houses. And, uh, and, you know, you can tend to take out your emotions on another person if if you don't have the ability to manage them yourself yeah. uh, how, how do you think if you wouldn't mind sharing um, because I know that I know that this happens a lot with parents and kids and how do you how did you guys get through that what do you think you said that you had a great therapist and she helped you but what what did what did she say to do? And what do you guys practice to be able to get to move through really hitting rock bottom with all of your losses and then um, being victimized and then, you know, only having each other? How did you move through that? Um, we, we actually found it was more helpful to work separately with therapist, with a therapist. Okay. I, I think, you know, family counseling or marriage counseling or those things are are great and they're useful tools but I, I personally it's just my opinion I'm sure it's not everybody's opinion but it's my opinion that um that uh family counseling or couples counseling does not work unless you're both separately going to counseling to work on yourself because otherwise it's so easy to spend an hour or an hour and a half blaming the person sitting next to you because now you've got another ear. And now what you're really looking for is a cooperator of your story. You're looking for the mediator or your therapist or whatever to go, yep, he really is an asshole. Or yep, <laughs> she really is such a jerk. Like totally it's her fault, right? Yep, see, told you. See, knew see, it. I was yeah. right. <laughs> see, knew it. <laughs> That's funny. It's all on you. Then that person shuts down. Then no one's getting any help. Then no one's getting anywhere. So I, I personally don't think it works. Just from my own experience um, and watching a bunch of my girlfriends go through it too. But I think it's imperative to be in therapy on your own so that somebody can help you identify your resentments and towards whoever you're working, you know, whoever you're dealing with, identify those resentments, um, really identify the obstacles to uh, healing those resentments and um, and finding your and 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 they are our own obstacles. You know, they really are our own obstacles. And then and then coming together to find a way to say, you know what, I never, um, I, I I'm having a hard time forgiving you for this, for saying this, for doing this, mm -hmm. for taking this side, for it feeling traitorous. Um, 
you know, because our kids, unfortunately, are just being stupid kids. And they do things, though, that feel traitorous to us as adults, you know, like downright traitorous. Feels like you took a side or you did after all I've done, you know, we all have, get, you know, as a parent, after everything I've done for you. But, you know, um, they're also their own little whirling hormonal growing individuals trying to figure out um, how to be independent and not knowing how to do that without really harming us, you know, like really hurting our feelings. So then it comes down to, okay, I got to be the grown up and like, I have to see it. These are my hurdles. These are my obstacles. This is my perspective. And what can I now do to set that aside um, and really see her perspective? And that's the only way to really heal something is you don't have to forgive the perspective. Like, it doesn't mean it didn't hurt. It doesn't mean that that it, is, it wasn't horrible or that the arguments aren't horrible or, you know, the things that were said aren't horrible. It just means that there is pain beyond that that needs to be understood on both sides. And I think once you start to understand your own your own pain and disseminate that, and they start to do it on their side and disseminate that, and then you come together, then you're then you're able, we were able to fix it. We we were able to say, okay, I see. Okay, I understand. Not just, yeah, but then you burr, burr, burr. you know, it was it was okay, no, I I see and no, I understand. And and but that was hurtful. And now we're gonna have to learn a new language around that because um and how do we how do we start there? So then the therapist would help us with communication around those spots but you can't even get to that part if you're just resentful and pointing fingers about how bad the other one was yeah you have to be able to take a step back take responsibility for your part right. to be able to connect and you you mentioned the word forgiveness and i uh, see we have this formula for choosing love it's above my head here courage. Uh, it's courage. courage gratitude, gratitude forgiveness which you just meant and i can't I, see the other one is that the conversation compassion. oh compassion yeah compassion so this is this is our formula that literally is a der derivation of jesse's chalkboard message of nurturing healing love that he left shortly before his murder that you know i'm spending the rest of my life spreading in schools, homes, and communities around the world, this this formula came from that, and uh, and you had mentioned forgiveness, and I I feel like forgiveness is is such an important part of relationships. I know that uh, that it is when you look at the science behind forgiveness, healthy relationships are one of the number one benefits of practicing it. And so how do you think that forgiveness weighed in on your relationship with Kaya and coming back together? Um, forgiveness was, was, it was everything. It was, and the thing is, it was, um, I think it's easy to throw around the world, the, the word forgiveness as a cop out of, um, you know, just say, well, of course I forgive them and I forgive this and I forgive that. And oh yeah, I forgive it because it's an easy word to say, but it can be very hollow unless you've done the work behind it. And I think the work behind forgiveness is the forgiving yourself of all the feelings that you feel because we can't really forgive another 
um, while we are still angry at ourselves for being angry at them. And we can't really forgive, honestly forgive another if you if you are still um, frustrated uh, with yourself for feeling whatever you're feeling, jealousy, anger, resentment, all the things. And we're, but we're secretly mad at ourselves for still feeling that. And we're like, no, 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 I forgive them. I totally forgive them. No, you don't. Because you don't, you're not even forgiving of yourself that you feel those things. So I think once we're able to really take a hard look at, no, I, no, I'm still mad. No, I'm still hurt. No, I'm still, um, and that's okay. That's okay. And I think once you say, once you're able to really release the shame and the guilt and the, you know, I, I guess it's mostly the shame around still having a feeling about it mm-hmm. um, and say, you know, it's okay for me to still have these feelings and for me to maybe not be all the way through them and, and forgive myself for, for still maybe not liking you or not enjoying your personality or not, you know, <laughs> um, I don't have to, lo- I don't have to like enjoy being around the person to be able to say, you know what, I forgive myself for really allowing this relationship to take a complete tumble and my part in it, all my parts in it that I'm ashamed of, um, that I let get beyond what they should have. And, um, and you know what, I, I forgive myself for that. And so I can forgive them for letting, letting, um, letting it take a tumble from their side too. Cause I understand how I allowed it to get this bad. And so from their perspective, they may never see how they allowed it to get this bad, but that's okay. I see it. And I forgive myself for it getting crappy. And, uh, and so if I can forgive myself for that, then I can have like real forgiveness for somebody else. But otherwise it's just a hollow word. I think. I love that. So, so starting off, it's a, it's a different perspective starting off when you're dealing with your kids with forgiveness of yourself. I think that that strengthens you to be mm. able to model for your child what that looks like. And you're already taking a step towards them when you do that. You're softening. Right. You can add compassion into that, feeling compassion right. for where they're coming from. And and uh, there was so many ways to feel compassion for Kaya because she'd had so much loss, but then so had right. you. And you were really yeah. both going through it together. And I couldn't, yeah. And I felt like I could not grieve because I needed to be strong for her. So I put my grief on hold. I mean, of course I was grieving. You can't get out of the grip of it, but I felt like I had to grieve in my bedroom. Like I didn't want to break down crying in front of her because she would actually get mad at me. She felt like she was the only one at that point who was entitled to her grief. It was very weird. It was, I mean, it was such a roller coaster. And then finally, a year later, I was allowed to, you know, once we had gone through therapy and we'd really like worked on helping each other, she was like, okay, it's, this grief doesn't just belong to me, but it felt like it just belongs to me and nobody else should have it. And um, so there's just all these weird things that, that, that grief, all these weird little gifts that grief brings, you know, that you, you can't possibly uh, anticipate, but, and they sound weird and they sound, but they're not weird. They just are what they are. And, and, you know, when you're a little girl and you're grieving your dad, it feels like you're the only one grieving your dad, you know? Absolutely. So complicated, especially when you're divorced. I can see 
how a child would think, you know, that the grief is mine. He's my father. Yeah. And 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 she doesn't have siblings. And so she felt alone in that. And then she was mad about being alone in that. She was mad and that she was having to deal with all of this, you know, on top of it, it was, it was really, um, it was really horrible, but you know, forgiveness was huge. It was really, it was really key. And it was really key for us to dig deep in our own forgiveness. We talked a lot to each other about how much, um, how much shame we had around. There's so much shame around death, you know, um, so much self-shaming because I didn't spend enough time. I didn't say the right thing before he died. I didn't say all the things I wanted to say. I should have spent more. I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have, I should have, I should have, but there was all these things that we were going to do that we didn't do. And all these things that he's not going to be there for now that we'll never see. There's Mm -hmm. like this insane shame cyclone that goes on. And so self-forgiveness is probably the most important thing. You can't even begin to forgive anybody else until you forgive yourself. And it's such a process. You can't just be like, okay, I forgive me. I'm good. No, you got to like, and, and I think um, one of the, one of the trip ups for us too was um, she was in such a shame spiral that um, she was super, super, super defensive. Um, And then that put me on the super defensive. So what we really had to work on was it's okay to be wrong. No one's going to die. Well, they could, who knows, but I kept dying. So uh, that was a stupid thing to say because every time we turned around, somebody else was dying. But I said, you're not going to die in this moment. If you just say, you know what? I I could be wrong. I am, I am open to in this moment that I just don't freaking have it right. And or, or you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. You're not going to, lightning is not going to strike you. And it's kind of freeing because then there's nothing more to argue about. The, the argument kind of stops right there. If you're not defending a shame trigger, because you're going to defend your shame till the, till the end of time. <laughs> um, because you're embarrassed, because it's, shameful, whatever it is. And, uh, but when you finally just sit, put, lay down your weapons and say, you know what, you might be right. I'm willing to entertain that I'm wrong. <laughs> and you know, that I, have an, so that I have an obstacle here. I have a personal obstacle in the fight here and, uh, and I'll get back to you on that later. Yeah. And while you're talking, I'm thinking about the fact that you were dealing with uh, a child a teenager. And this is so hard for adults to navigate as well. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's things that we learn, these essential life skills that we learn that this is what's in our solutions that we offer to schools for free is teaching how to face difficulty and how That's to amazing. learn from it, grow through it, be strengthened by it, and then even take that wisdom through that learned experience and then use it to help others. You know, as much as we don't want our kids to feel pain, uh, we want to bubble wrap them and keep them safe. They're going to feel pain and they have to have these skills and tools. We do too, to move through difficulty. And uh, I didn't realize how many could be taught, but, and it, it's also, you learn through experience, which is what I did too, when Jesse was murdered. I mean, I learned so much of this, just trying to figure out a solution that would have 
kept him alive and and yeah. even his shooter alive like how how can we prevent this in the future and it was going to the root cause of a lot of the suffering that created that and uh and and so if you can see difficulty like what you and Kaya faced as i mean it's so painful and it's the worst of the worst but it's at the same time you know there's a silver lining to everything at the same time it's kind of an opportunity to to grow i mean it was going to happen i always say i would have given all my growth back for two more seconds with jesse but right. um but i couldn't have that so it was a tremendous opportunity for growth and i think when you can come out the other side and realize that um, that's when you're going to be okay. And you know that it's not just going to completely destroy you and take you down, but it does feel like it might for a while. Yeah. I think, I think, um, I think that's so beautiful that you're teaching all of that in schools to young kids, because they're the, I've, I've always felt like the one thing that our kids are not learning in school and that is of the utmost importance and that, that so they're learning to read and to write and to do math. That's all fine and good. But you've pretty much learned how to do all the basics in that by like the third grade, right? <laughs> Anything you know, you're going to remember. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you Are you smarter than a fifth grader? I'm not. So by the fifth grade, you've pretty much learned all that you're going to like need uh, unless you need to do advanced math, which I didn't. So I became an actress. But um <laughs> I don't really remember anything from, from junior high and high school, but the one thing that is missing is, is personal development and communication. The yeah. one thing that we do all day, every day, all of our entire life is try to communicate with other human beings in a respectful and uh, compassionate manner. And we don't learn any of that in school. As a matter of fact, we learn to bully in school. We learn jealousy. We learn, you know, um, competition. We learn all the opposites of how to communicate in a, in a holistic way. When what there should be is a class on what are you feeling? Here are 100 words for vocabulary words on feelings. So that you don't just say, I feel bad, or I feel good, or I feel happy, or I feel sad. But there are a hundred vocabulary words that so you can say. So they don't come say, out in your behavior. So because when, yes. if you can't say it, you're, you, you don't misbehave or have it come Learn out. Learn to identify it in kindergarten. Learn how to identify those, all those words in the first grade. So that right. if somebody says, well, wait, what's happening here? I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling despondent. I'm feeling whatever, you know, I'm feeling a little jealous right now. I'm feeling yeah. a little trampled right now emotionally. I'm feeling put down. I'm feeling, you know, disregarded. I'm feeling unworthy. I'm feeling, you know, like, why are we not giving vocabulary words to young children so that in their, in their academic career, they also know how to um, emotionally communicate uh, to make, possibly alleviate a whole lot of fights, you know, communication breakdowns, all the things. Maybe, I don't know, maybe make for a happier marriages. Maybe people actually, you know, learn this in school and move on into their adulthood, and which of course they would know how to communicate better, but it's not in school and I don't get it. Actually, there's research that shows that it does reduce divorce rates, by the way, uh, when you teach that in schools. And, and, you know, the thing is, you cannot 
manage an emotion that you can't identify. You don't even know what it is. So how can yeah, you manage it? You're just it? mad. You're just mad. The go-to feeling is mad. When right. You, when you're frustrated and you can't identify and you're flooded emotionally, you're just mad. Right. So you're angry. You don't know why. Anger never happens in a vacuum. There's always a reason, but you can't identify it. So your anger just grows. And I, and I always like to say, so that's, that's an explanation of why we're in the place that we're in now in, in, in our country, totally. in the world, right? Because there's so much anger. There's a reason for that anger, but we, we're not really thinking about that. And therefore we're not able to manage it. All this can be taught. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's an easy solution. Like, I mean, if it's taught, started, you know, being taught in the lower grades by the time they're seniors in high school, they're going to be so adept at it because you, the, the go-to emotion is, 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 is a, if the go-to emotion is anger. And usually the one right behind that is fear. And it's because you're feeling fear of not feeling heard. And yet you're not heard because you don't even know what it is you're feeling. <laughs> right. And you don't know how to, how to communicate it or identify it. And communication is so key because uh, it's the key to relationships. Relationships are the key to happiness and flourishing in our lives. We need each other. We're social creatures. And of course, you know, that always brings me back to social distancing. And, uh, and that, was, that was tough for everyone because we are social creatures. We need each other. We need each other to survive and thrive. And so we've just come out of this couple of years of being told to distance socially. And, and you know, the, the messaging in hindsight could have been physically distanced, but socially connected because we need each other. And we're going to be feeling the pain of that, I think, for quite a while. And it's still unfolding the, the damage that that's caused. Um, and, you know, there is, there is a way out though. Uh, it's, it's addressing the root cause of a lot of the suffering that we have, including a lot of the mental illness. Um, Dr. Bruce Lipton is uh, somebody who founded the field of epigenetics and that's uh, about our genes. And, you know, a lot of times we, we say, uh, you know, oh, you know, it's, it's hereditary what I have and, and uh, you know, it's just the way that I am. Um, it, my parents had it, I'm gonna have it, but it's so interesting that less than 1% of our dis-ease comes from our genes. Uh, the majority really? of it comes. Yeah, it's so interesting. The majority of it comes from uh, trauma and 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 how we move through that if we either grow through it or we're taken down by it it comes from toxins so you know what we put into our body how we how we take care of our our machinery here our body and a big one is our thoughts our yeah. thoughts every thought we have impacts us on a cellular level so it's either leading us towards languishing or flourishing and so uh you know at Jesse's funeral i said this whole tragedy started with a thought, an angry thought in the shooter's head. And the amazing thing is that a thought can be changed. So everybody think about what you're thinking about. Choose a loving thought over an angry thought and you'll make yourself feel better. That'll be reflected in how we treat one another and how you, how you act, your behavior. And uh, a week later, that kind of went viral and everybody was writing me and saying, wow, that, that 
that one simple little thing changed my life. And so that was the foundation of wow, the choose wow. love movement. But a lot of it comes back to what we can control in our lives. And uh, there's a lot that we can't, especially in today's world, you look out there and of course, there's a lot to feel anxious about and to fear, but you can but, only control you. So if right. you try to at least control you, right. Yeah, and I, and I love that. I've all like, uh, just that, that, um, your thoughts control your emotions, not the other way around. Yeah, a- absolutely. Your emotions don't control your thoughts. People think, oh, I'm feeling emotional. No, you know, you're having a thought that's creating an emotion. Emotions exactly. don't create the thoughts. It's not the other way Interesting, around. right? So mm-hmm. I'm curious as an actress, how do you think your acting ability has helped your communication? Or do you think that it has No, but my personal, you know what I get, I think I know, I don't think so, but I know my personal growth work, my own personal therapy work and really identifying, um, identifying my feelings and my obstacles to those feelings and my inability to, um, to, uh, you know, for decades being able to identify those feelings and then accurately communicate them calmly and succinctly. Um, all, my growth work in that process has made me a better actress. Okay. You know, um, I, I feel like I, I just have more access to me. Um, I have less obstacles to, to, um, all the feelings and I have, um, less issue with worthiness and, um, and being heard. I mean, you know, I think probably safe to say a lot of us, you know, maybe not the majority, but a lot of us didn't feel heard growing up. We grew up in a different time. Like they just, you know, that generation suck it up. (laughs) It was the, it was the suck it up parents. It was like, you know, you didn't have a cell phone to call your mommy every time you got a boo-boo. You you fell off your bike a mile away from your house. You had to figure out how to get your sorry bloody self home. Yeah. Eight years old or six years old or whatever we were. And that's the thing too. I would never let my kid be out on the street and a bike at six years old. But my mom was like, Hey, bye. And I was yeah, like, me too. All day. Like, whatever. <laughs> suck it up. If you're hurting or you're sad, shut it up and suck it up. And that was that. So we didn't really, we, there was nobody that generation wasn't really coddling our little emotions, you know what I mean? Or, you know, um, so and that was kind of great because we're tough, you know, we're, we're tough, this, our generation, but, um, but it also made for a lot of not listening to ourselves and um, bypassing our own feelings. And until we got so frustrated that we just, you know, have something to rage about. And, and I think, and then now this new generation of kids, they're so coddled. They're so, you know, I wonder how, the president from this generation is even going to lead the free world because they're going to be on the phone with their mom being like, mom, guess what Russia did today? What do you think I should do? Because it's like the generation of helicopter parents and, and uh, kids that, that are like, Oh my God, my feelings are, they're like such snowflakes right now. Um, That's so funny. Needing validation (laughs) from everywhere, right? All day long. Everywhere. Yeah. They need to be, they need a thousand likes or they're not lovable. I don't know. They need, you know, to show up. Everybody needs to applaud everything they do. 
Yeah. There was a, there was this study done that said that um, for, you know, our generation, um, we took photos in cameras of things we saw. This generation takes photos of themselves. <laughs> They're not taking pictures of things like as much of things that they see. They're taking pictures of themselves with the thing in the background. So interesting. You're right. Yeah. But we took pictures of everything we saw. And then somebody took a family picture, you know, like of, but it was never about a selfie. So what is that creating? Some sort of low level narcissism or something? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. We'll, we'll yep. have to tackle that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of selfies, um, you love to travel. And yeah. I love to travel. I've traveled all over um, doing the choose love thing. I'm just wondering where are your favorite places to go? Um, I love Croatia. I have like a total love affair with Croatia and I never get sick of going because there's 1600 islands and um, wow. the north is very different than the south. The north is very woodsy and there's truffle hunting and there's these beautiful underground stalagmites, stalactite caves and dinosaur bones and all this interesting, you know, and then in the South is more like being in Greece and the water from the North and the South is crystal clear. Oh. It's crystal clear and gorgeous. And the food is amazing and the people are kind and, and um, great hosts. And they're, they're very country proud. So everything is clean. Every tiny city is pristine like the oldest grandma is out there like sweeping and gardening and you know it's just beautiful it's beautiful beautiful and um so that's that's my favorite although I think this summer we're gonna try if if all is well and everybody's traveling um my niece is graduating from high school so she really her mom uh, they want to go to Paris so I think we're gonna go meet them in Paris and I never get sick of Paris because it's <laughs> nice. I do love you know, any place in Europe. So that's really and anything nice. that has to do with horseback riding. So I think we're going to go to, I think we're going to go to London for a little bit first and ride in the countryside is our other favorite spot is going to Montana and going to like a dude ranch or something. We really love that. That's really fun. If you're in the UK, you can go to Wales, which is where my family's from. And I went really riding there and it is gorgeous. Yes. Oh, okay. I might have to pick your brain about that. Yeah, really, really nice. Well, I love horses. So I, in fact, I've got a horse I'm looking at right now, right out my window, which is just a blessing and it's a dream. Come uh, true for me, so yeah, I love it. We love it too. Yeah. Horses are uh, so healing and uh, they're just such spiritual creatures. I just, I just love them. I wanted Where my voice of going. What's your favorite? Oh, my, fa you know, I have to say, I think that my favorite is Hawaii. Oh, and yep. I know that that's, you know, that that's a lot of people's favorite, but I had never been. And, um, I actually, this is crazy. I, I had a session with John Edward, do you know, the, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I just felt like, you Were know, you able to talk to Jesse. Yeah. I just felt like oh, a couple of months later, I'm like, cool. you know what, I just, I'm going to do this. And so he agreed to see me. And, uh, during my session, he was like, what, what is gift? this? It was such a gift. And, and he said, what, what is this whole thing about Hawaii? And I said, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, that whatever's going to happen, which is going to be huge, uh, whatever project you're working on or whatever, Hawaii is going to weigh big in on it. 
Uh, and I was like, really? Okay. And he's like, well, have you ever been? And I said, no. And he's like, do you want to go? And I said, well, I mean, doesn't everybody want to go to Hawaii? But you know, <laughs> there are other things on my mind right now. Well, interestingly enough, um, Obama's sister, President Obama's sister lives in Hawaii, and she uh, works with the University of Hawaii in this space that I was starting to come into, which is social and emotional learning. So she she asked me to come down and speak to her group at the university, and I met uh, beautiful people there that, you know, were became my ohana, which is family in Hawaii, wow. and <clears throat> now... In Hawaii, almost every school is choosing love, which they call choosing aloha there because aloha means love. And uh, it's just so amazing. And exactly what he was saying, wow, Hawaii is going to weigh in big on this. I hadn't planned a trip. I'd never even thought about going. And all of a sudden, uh, I feel like uh, I feel like Hawaii is my home. Uh, And I've spent so much time there. I love it. That's incredible. Yeah, he knew. He he already knew. He already knew. He already knew, which was incredible. Um, I think he knew when he wrote that message, nurturing healing love on my kitchen chalkboard, actually, which is uh, pretty amazing. So um, I wanted to ask you uh, one last question, and it's about your faith. And you write this on your Instagram account, but it's the Baha'i faith, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I was just thinking um, maybe some people haven't heard of that. And I was wondering um, how, what, what, what is that? I mean, I did a little bit of research, but what that means for you and how that works in your life. I, um, I've been a Baha'i since I was a teenager. Um, One of of the interesting things about the Baha'i faith is even if you're born into a Baha'i family, which my my mom was a Baha'i, but um, but you're really meant to go and research all religions on your own, kind of your independent investigation. Um, and then you can't become a Baha'i till you're 15 uh, because they want you to choose it of your own volition. And so I became a Baha'i when I was 15. And right now, actually, we are in our fasting period. It just started yesterday and it lasts for 19 days and it's the same time every year. And it's a little bit like Ramadan. Um, I mean, that would be the only thing I could I could uh, compare it to because it's, and maybe it's Lent a, because Christians just started Lent. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. Uh, yeah. I think Lent starts at different times every year, though, right? Depending on the oh, it starts forty days before Easter. Yeah, so it moves around a little bit. Ours is um, is a hard nineteen days starting on the first. On March first, okay. we okay. do go. It is it is right around Lent every every year, and it's yeah. interesting because um, the Baha'i faith we believe in all in all prophets being equal. So all that there that there's one God that um, you know Jesus, Buddha, Moses, uh, Muhammad, they, they all came to teach um, the same spiritual laws. Unfortunately, we don't believe in what the the segregation the people have taken it and turned it into, you know, dissent and, you know, and hatred, unfortunately, it's like exactly the opposite of what we um, believe all of the prophets came to teach about the same God and, um, and that, and that they're all equal. So this time of year is our fasting time. And, uh, and Lent was, was initially the same as, um, as 
Ramadan or any of any of the fasting, really, you fasted from sunup to sundown, no food, no water for 40 days. Ours is 19 days. But um, now Lent is has turned into, okay, what do you, what one thing do you want to give up for 40 days? Right. But that's right. not what it used to be. It was a hard fast. It was no food, no water from sunup to sundown. Of course, you can eat after sundown all night if you want to and before the sun comes up. And, but it's meant to be a spiritual fast because with the material food being, you know, with the food being gone during the day, you're, um, we're supposed to pray more, meditate more. And it's kind of like when there's like a little external toil that causes a spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So when you have, when you are without, you are far more um, aware of your within and, you know, just connecting to God more during that 19 days. So it's a spiritual fast. It's not, it's not meant to be a diet or anything like that. It's just, it's a spiritual fast. So that's what we're, we're doing right now. I love, I love the message of unity that everyone's equal and that, um, we're all in this together because we're all in this together. You know, we started out this podcast (laughs) saying that, um, saying that our hope, our hope was during COVID that we would realize that we're all in this together. And because bottom line, that's the truth. And I think the war in the Ukraine also reminds us of that once again, that, um, you know, there are human beings there that are just like you and I that did not want war. And uh, I I especially think about our most vulnerable, which is our kids. Can you imagine, um, you know, like in this day and age, I'm having a hard time uh, thinking about what's going on over there and how the trauma and the fear that they're not going to, yeah, it's being imprinted on them right now that they're not going to, and, and how, how hard everybody else is trying to stay out of it while, you know, imposing sanctions, but really trying to not engage because nobody wants a world war. We know it would be, you know, I I mean, holy cow, nobody, I feel like everybody is just, you know, on pins and needles right now with every single move that happens. It's really, it's really scary. And yeah, I really did hope, I think maybe it was, um, because the Baha'i faith, you know, our, our um, prophet founder was Baha'u'llah and taught only unity, only love, no war. Baha'is can't, um, uh, we're conscientious um, objectors, so we cannot be in armed forces. We don't kill. We don't join political um, parties uh, publicly. Of course, you can align whatever way you want and vote however you want, but um, but we're not really um, um, encouraged to be in politics because it's just too dirty. You know, yeah. it's just, you know, and we're not aligned politically with any, you know, and, and the sad thing too is in, um, in Iran, they are just slaughtering Baha'is all up one side and down the other, and they're taking their property and they're throwing them in jail because they think they're, uh, you know, because they're not, Muslim. And the sad thing is, as Baha'is, we believe that Muhammad was a, was a true prophet and equal with all the other prophets. And what he taught spiritually was, was the same. And what the people have taken and twisted to fit, you know, war and murder and mayhem and all the things is not, a, not at all what 
um, the prophets were teaching or aligning with. Same with the, you know, with Christ. He didn't say go out and crusade and kill people who are not your, that wasn't his message, but it's what they took from the message and twisted. And that's not what we, you know, we believe that all the spirituality and God is one and we are one and we are equal. And I, I was really hoping that at the end of all of the COVID, that would be the takeaway, but it's, I, I think maybe we touched more on what actually happened, which was there was a lot of fear, which generated a lot of rage because there was no way to identify what everybody was actually feeling. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And all of those prophets that you mentioned, I mean, their message on earth was love. And love. <laughs> love, love. And, and connection and compassion. And, and compassion. Yeah. Right, and compassion. right. And forgiveness. Yes. It's all the things on your board every prophet zoroaster moses buddha christ muhammad everybody you know baha'u'llah everybody taught like all the same um krishna like all they and how do we get so far from those things and here's the reminder that it's a choice that mm -hmm. it is a choice in every interaction that we have, that we wake up in the morning and it's a new day to make a new choice. And we have these opportunities all day long in what we think and how we feel and how we behave and how we treat one another to choose love. And that's the whole point of Jesse's movement. The choose love movement is just a reminder that we can choose that is where our personal power is as human beings and that love can be that focus that is a positive focus and where we focus we will go and if we're if our thoughts are on anxiety and fear and resentment and hatred that is where we're going to go and if they are on love and it's really it is as easy as choosing a loving thought over a hateful thought, right. choosing a loving right. thought over a hateful thought. Yes. Shifting the focus of your lens to love. And you have definitely helped us do that today, Eva, by just being so open and vulnerable and honest about your own experience. I know a lot of people, including myself, listened and learned from you. You are a beautiful person inside and out. And I'm Thank just you. so grateful for you. Thank you for coming on today. Thank and you. Thank you for having I mean, This has just been such an uplifting conversation. I really appreciate you inviting me here to have such a beautiful talk. And, and, um, and also remind you, you know, I think it's the most, it's the most fantastic reminder that it really is up to you. The only person that you're in control of and the only thoughts that you can really sway are your own and, and choosing a loving thought over an angry thought or a hateful thought, or at least identifying why you're feeling that angry, fearful thought and then choosing a loving thought. I think right. when we try to jump, oh, I think when we try to jump and smash an angry thought, it doesn't always work. But if you identify the thought, you stop and you're like, why am I actually super pissed off right now? Then at least you've allowed yourself. If nobody else heard it, at least you heard it. You said, you know what? I care how I feel right now. And even if no one else is listening, I give myself the time to understand why I'm feeling this angry thought. And now I can move on to choosing a loving thought. Because now I get why I'm feeling this. I think when you don't even understand why you're feeling it, it's kind of hard to to, you know, jump an angry thought with a loving thought. But 
But once you give yourself the loving kindness and forgiveness and understanding, then you can jump it with a loving thought. Yeah. And that's the formula. That formula is the courage to take a breath, even in conflict, to face what's going on, to be able to thoughtfully respond. You can't always choose what happens to you, but you can choose how you thoughtfully respond. But you have to get into that present space like you were talking about to to think of something that you're grateful for, because that kind of raises your energy level and uh, and helps strengthen you. It strengthens your brain to consider forgiveness for yourself or others. And then the courage to step outside of your busyness and distraction, or even the anger and fear that you're feeling to help somebody else. We, I think, don't realize yet how powerful doing for others is for ourselves. I mean, both my son JT and I have learned through now living our lives in service. We didn't do it before, but of course, as a mom with a murdered son, I mean, our kids can't be facing crazy shooters that are coming into into their schools. They have to be safe and they should be, and they can be. So dedicating my life and living it in service, I've realized, wow, this is healing for me. Everything that I do for someone else comes back and gives me hope and healing myself. JT's realized that too through his philanthropy work. And uh, I'm just so, that's that's like the greatest gift that I've been given. And I'm so thankful for it. That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing, for for inviting me, because this was really, this was really This is a beautiful way to start my day. (laughs) Oh, awesome. Thank you so much, Eva. And I'd love to have you on again. Oh, I'd love to be back. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Eva. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Have a great day. I really thank you so much. You too. And we'll be in touch. Okay. Take care, honey. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. It's all part of us, we can all choose love, it'll lift you up, if you 